American Ballpark. It's the Better Off Red Podcast. Here's your host, Jamie Ramsey. I'm joined by MLB.com writer Mark Sheldon. Mark, welcome to the premiere of season two of the Better Off Red Podcast. Wow. Season two premiere. It's big. It's huge. Congratulations on getting a season two. Yeah, when I asked them, I said, is there any chance that I'll get a season two? Will you guys renew me? And they said, yeah, if the Cubs win the World Series. And <laughs> I held them to it. So, Well, c- congratulations to the Cubs <laughs> and to Jamie Ramsey. I'm glad it all worked out for you. Hey, man, let's jump right into this uh, this red stuff. You want to? Yeah, let's. It's the, now that the World Series is over, it's like the hot stove season is uh, full, full in right away. You got that right. Hey, look, um, we just mentioned the Cubs. And we're talking about, you know, the possibility of uh, how long it'll take the Reds to get there. As a general first question, give me your take on uh, are the Reds close? Do you see uh, some um, some positivity in this uh, in the future of this franchise and your overall take on the organization as a as a whole? I think they are not necessarily close, but I think the worst is behind them. Um, If you look at the Cubs or the Astros or some of these other teams that went through a similar situation it took about four years theoretically then the reds would be two years into this and one thing that was encouraging was the second half of last year you got all those guys back that were hurt you got some guys that were brought in you know that kind of you know jay bruce was traded and shedler was brought back and you kind of got to see what the makeup of the team was going to be maybe for the future and they went 36 and 37 in the second half and they still didn't have everybody even billy hamilton and cozart were missing most of the last month so that's encouraging, and I think that's a good step. And they they have a, a rotation of at least three or four starters that they feel like they can move forward with. Uh, the one thing that could hold them back is the Cubs, because the Cubs are not going anywhere for a while. I mean, not just because of uh, the money they have and the big the big spending power, but they have a lot of young players that are not uh, going to be leaving the organization for a while. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, uh, Wilson Schwarber, Contreras. They're going to be around for a while, so that could hurt the Reds and in their hopes to get back into the uh, into contention. But at the same time, I, I think that there is a lot of young players here that that people in the organization should be pretty pleased with. And uh, if you, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit, a uh, little bit more. Uh, give me some pros and cons that you took away from the 2016 season. I mean, obviously the team wasn't successful, finished in fifth place, but there were some shining lights, and uh, I would like to hear. You talk about that, but first, give me some of the cons that you were kind of disappointed in. Um, I think it it was you know the uh, the bullpen certainly was terrible, and I, I mean it got better when Iglesias and, and Lorenzen joined the fray, but I think just the the amount of walks that the bullpen gave up was abysmal you can the home runs are going to happen and, and especially at a park like this but not just here anywhere that the home runs happen but the the walks that came before the home runs was really just inexcusable no matter whether you're a rebuilding team or not you got to throw strikes if you're going to come in and try to keep a situation from getting out of control uh obviously in the first half that was a problem because the bullpen was overused but i don't feel like that was the case in the second half and i feel like the walks still accumulated a little bit um so despite the so despite the improvement into the second half, you saw that the walk rate was still well, it's, relatively it's, high for the. Uh, I don't have without the numbers. Having the numbers front, yeah, without having the numbers in front of me, it, it just still felt like there were pitchers. Like I remember, it just seemed like, and I'm going to kind of make it more anecdotal, but it seemed like when Jumbo Diaz came in, he was good for at least a walk. Tony Singrani always gave up a walk. I think I remember counting that, you know, over a stretch of like ten appearances from like August into September, I, I think he didn't get the first batter out. And whether it was a walk or a hit. And I just think those are the kind of things that have to absolutely drive a manager and a pitching coach berserk. And it certainly drives a fan berserk. As a media member, you just kind of scratch your head. And I think that's something that was really glaring last season, and they really need to address that going into 2017. I, I think um, they need some more uh, depth in the bench, which is something that Dick Williams talked and I talked about, and he talked about with all the media last month. Uh, I think the, the bench was a little thin. You didn't have that guy that could come off the bench and change a game for you in the seventh or eighth inning. Uh, um, I think uh, it's it's a success and a failure in a way. Joey Votto was comatose for two months of the season, but man, he he really did come on at the end. I think those are some of the things that were were on the on the downside, but there's a lot of positives too. Yeah, and and before we get to the positives, 
if, if those are the only kind of and not they're probably not the only things, but the most glaring problems that you saw in 2016, you know, taking off my Reds hat for a second. That's not a bad thing to overcome, don't you think? It's it's definitely overcomable. I yeah. mean, it's not, oh, this team has no chance of ever rebounding from 98 and 94 losses. I mean, there's some things that could have been done better. The rotation certainly could have been better. I mean, Homer Bailey not being able to pitch more than five or six games is a definite negative, but it's Tommy John surgery, and it's there's it, a certain amount of uh, mystery to that still, even though it's become a more common procedure. Um, but I think... The areas where the team fell short were the areas where they spent the less bullpen bench. Um, Would you say defense was also uh, something that could have been improved upon? In some areas. I mean, Joey Votto's defense certainly declined. Jay Bruce, until he got traded, was not the Jay Bruce that we have seen in the past defensively. Um, you know, Brandon Phillips, I would say, was is no longer gold glove caliber at defense. He was still capable of a good play now and again. Uh, Suarez, though, as as rough as he was in the first maybe two months of the season, he did make improvements. And I think there are people that made better strides defensively, whether it be Billy Hamilton. Adam Duvall was a surprise defensively. Tucker Barnhart stepped into an everyday role, and I thought he played pretty good defense. So Adam Duvall could very well win the gold he glove. He could win the gold glove, which would be absolutely astonishing for a guy that did not uh, play a lot of outfield until he got to this organization. He was mostly a corner infielder and not a very good one. Uh, so he, he's got a, a nice shot at being a gold glove winner. Is uh, Billy Hamilton the best center fielder you saw in 2016? Yeah, the I know a lot of people like Ender in Ciarte, uh, and he could very well take the gold glove uh, from Hamilton, maybe because of the last month of the season he didn't play very much. But just on a day-in and day-out basis, and the fact that I was lucky enough to see that, you know, we always talk about all the electric things that Hamilton can do that we don't see very often when he's on the bases, but very often we kind of forget about the, the defense and that play he made, the diving catch he made on the warning track with his head going into the wall is probably one of the finer ones you're going to see. Sure. Okay, now we talked a little bit about the uh, the critiques of the 2016 team and, and the organization. What did you see during the year that you were pleasantly surprised about and something that um, that the, that the team can take into the future that uh, that you ne- didn't necessarily predict at the beginning of of the 2016 season. Well, we'll start with Dan Straley, only because he wasn't even here until the the day before the season, I believe, or two days. He was a late pickup, kind of a journeyman already. He was on his third team in in a week, and it was going to be a long reliever. And suddenly, when all the injuries happened and guys started falling down and or some some performance issues, he stepped in. And what surprised me was a guy that doesn't throw very hard, kind of has a Bronson Arroyo-like repertoire, uh, was able to be as successful as he was. Even though he led the league in home runs allowed, he didn't walk a lot of guys. So I think 24 of his 31 homers were solo shots. Um, but he's also very, very – he had a lot of craftiness to him that he could – he can learn how to do some things to get elicit maybe not so good contact. And also he was a really good teammate. I mean, you, you look at – uh, someone like Brandon Finnegan, uh, he worked on his changeup with Dan Straley. Dan Straley showed him a grip and kind of uh, helped Finnegan get straightened out. And I think that's something, as a not just as a on a performance level on the field, but off the field he showed to be a, one of the clubhouse leaders of a guy that wasn't even in the organization in, uh, in March. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, Adam Duvall, obviously, you know, we saw his numbers in AAA, but there was really no way to think that he could be an all-star. I, I don't think anyone would have said going into the season that Adam Duvall was going to be one of the Reds' all-stars. And Were you surprised about the uh, the power? I know that's something that he's always had, uh, but, I mean, 30 home runs, I mean, that's mighty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I guess not so much the power base because he, he hit, like, I think five homers uh, down the stretch when he came up last year, and he, he had a... a, a a history, at least in, in the minors, of hitting 25 to 35 homers. So you knew he had the power. Whether he could do it up here was another story. Um, and for as long as he did, you know, he, he did fall off a little bit in the second half. But the fact that he was sustaining that kind of power for the first, you know, four months of the season pretty well, I thought that said a lot for him and uh, was definitely surprised. Again, the defense was stunning. I thought he, he really did have a nice year. He deserved to be an all-star, and he, he has a lot to, to be – excited about going into next season and suited the Reds for that yeah especially I think uh, talking about his defense again it's uh, he came up as a corner infielder and yeah. that's all he knew until I mean 
essentially a couple of years ago. So and he made good judgment on on balls. He he had some assists. Uh, he throw guy. He was able to throw guys out. He took some good routes. I mean, these are the things the the finer points that you don't look at as much. You you look at everyone always looks at the errors or the this and that. But he he played smart left field and he was able to do things out there that that saved a run here and there and you can't take that for granted going back to Straley for a second you led off with him as far as the the positive stuff for 2016 what changed for him you know just when I talked to him at the last day of the season I, I he didn't say that much changed he kind of stuck with what he what got him to be here he said he gave a lot of credit to Tucker Barnhart and Mac Jenkins for knowing him or knowing him quickly and learning him and, and going and looking at his strengths of pitches and that was his slider and his changeup and really working on that uh, and using the data that they had from Statcast and all the other information that they compile here in the organization of what would make him most successful. He also spent last off season uh, up in Washington State at this uh, academy called Driveline, which really maximizes the amount of data. And they use a lot of information to maximize the pitches he does have. But he also did some strengthening with his shoulder, uh, with weighted baseballs and things like that. He threw 191 innings. He said he was never sore the day after a start all season, other than the general, like, regular stuff. But never anything more than that. He, he never felt like there was a day he couldn't throw. And that was big. Was th- Is this something that he he was going to continue into this offseason? He wasn't planning on going to Washington State. Now that he's established the baseline and he has the equipment, like the weighted baseballs in his own, he will work out at home in Oregon, and, uh, and and he has people he can work with. So he says he's going to continue that. But if he felt like he needed to go up, you know, make the two-hour flight up to Washington, he would do it. Switching gears here um, to talk about some of the other Reds personnel, uh, on-field personnel. Uh, what's the latest on Devin Mezzarocco? There hasn't been a whole lot. Uh, he, uh, you know, we saw him in the clubhouse doing his workouts and things like that towards the end, and you know, just being around, but. Uh, right now, it sounds like he's still on target to be able to start catching again, or at least catching drills in mid to late January, which is awfully late. I think he got started a little bit earlier last year, and obviously wasn't 100% at spring training. So, uh, as as far as I know, there's no deviation. I haven't been told anything that he's he's behind schedule. And that's a thing that a lot of Reds fans, especially the more you know knowledgeable fans, um, always cite uh, as far as things that they're worried about. They're worried about whether Devin can come back and catch 130 games a year, um, and you know, it, and if he can, is he going to be the same player at the plate? What are your thoughts? Maybe your opinions, your analysis on that? I think three major surgeries in less than two years is a big red flag, and I, I, I'm not going to sit there and say, "Oh, he'll be fine." Because I don't think we know that. I don't think we know that he won't be fine. I think it's in this day and age, we always want to know all the answers right away. But this is one of those cases where we really have to watch him play. He has to go through spring training. He has to be beat up by the the bouncing ball, you know, the balls in the dirt, and do all the drills and and get up and get down and get up and get down. And then he has to play 100 plus games in the season to show that he is 100 percent behind this these these injuries. And uh, I would I would think just because of his he's starting the drills in January. I, I wouldn't expect him to be ready to start the season, just in my head. I think they're going to have to be as cautious as they can. They also have the luxury of Tucker Barnhart that if he's healthy, that he can play uh, and, and, and be a starter. And I, I think if you go to a hybrid situation where maybe this year they split the job and somebody gets – they both get about 80 games, uh, I think that would be okay. And then if Mezzarocco shows that he, he can get through that, maybe you go back in, the in, in, I think, the third or fourth year of his contract and he could try to do 120, 130 games. And speaking of the, some of the positive things that we we talked about earlier, and, and Tucker Barnhart, I think Tucker Barnhart established himself as a bona fide major league catcher this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he he, you know, he went through the grind of catching every day, and and it wasn't an easy. This was not an easy pitching staff to catch this year. It was obviously a challenge having a a bazillion starters. They didn't have the same five guys like they did in 2012. It, it's he had a lot of guys to work with, a lot of challenges in the bullpen, and then he was able to hit too. And that that's the thing. Usually for a younger catcher, maybe a guy experiencing everyday catching it the first time, the first thing that goes down the, the drain is they're hitting because they're just worn down. And he hit pretty well, and he was clutching runners in scoring position. So uh, he hit some home runs from the right side, which he hadn't done a whole lot of uh, in the minors. It's something he never did in the majors. So it's uh, definitely a, a surprise, and he's definitely shown that if Mezzarocco can't do it for whatever reason, he could do it. 
A couple guys that finished the year a little banged up included Billy Hamilton and Brandon Phillips. Uh, do you any any word on them? Uh, news or any no. updates on those guys? No, and I should have asked when I talked to the general manager yesterday. I I was going through my litany of things, but uh, you know the kind of injury that Hamilton had was the oblique, and that's that's really a rest injury. It's it doesn't take a whole lot to aggravate it when you're playing, but when you're in the off season, he has plenty of time to let that heal. And I would imagine if that I can't. I'd be shocked if that comes into play for him when he gets back to spring training. Phillips was just had so many things that were banged up, and he's now going to. He's thirty six. Uh, he's another guy I think was is really just he needs a, an off season just to heal up. I mean, he banged up his toe and he banged up his shin and he got hit on the hand a couple times. And I mean, the guy just got beat up. And to his credit, you know, he has a lot of detractors, but to his credit, he did not want to sit out of any games, and he was able to to really kind of you know finish the season, and he did pretty well. What do you think of uh, A. Eugenio Suarez in 2016? Really uh, pleasant, uh, kind of a pleasant surprise in the sense that, you know, he didn't really play any third base, and he, he moved over there, and he looked great in spring training. Once the game started and it got real, you kind of saw he had some challenges. He had like 12 errors in 53 games, uh, but then he worked. He was able to work through it, and he, I thought he, you know, he, he was. He admitted that there were times that. He, he wasn't prepared or he wasn't focused enough. And he learned that being a third baseman, you had to be literally focused on every single pitch and you had to be ready for the routine ball as much as the, the, the outstanding play. But those routine balls come up on you so fast, much faster than shortstop. And I think that was one something he learned. And, and uh, you know, he went through his, his ebbs and flows offensively. He went through a nice stretch where he hit a lot of home runs and then he'd fall off. He had a, I think an O for 28 in May and he struggled throughout much of May and, but he, he never gave up, and he was able to kind of grow. And I think of all the players, of those that, that young crew of players, I, I, I think he may have showed the most growth from April to October than anyone else on the team. He, you know, he, he kind of saw him coming to his own. He was so quiet last season. He was a, you know, he didn't speak a lot. He, he doesn't English isn't his first language, but you know, he, he didn't really do a lot of talking with the media as far as you know small talk and hanging out and things like that and and this year he was able to joke around with people he was definitely one of the clubhouse guys that kind of stood out to me uh, off the field and and he certainly had a good year I thought he had a nice year to build on and he should be right in the middle of it 2017 and and I would agree with that 2017 but let me ask you this what kind of future does he have with a guy like Nick Senzel yeah. uh, down there waiting in the wings? That's going to be interesting because not only is his old position seemingly spoken for, whether it's from Zach Cozart for the short term or uh, Jose Peraza for the long term, uh, you know, Suarez, they, they, he might be a guy that either becomes trade value for someone else or he has to find a new position because I can't imagine Nick Senzel going somewhere else. He might be the next Chris Bryant for to some people. So, but at the same time, I don't think they're going to rush Senzel. This organization seems to have shown tremendous uh, patience and, and, and caution when it comes to rushing prospects. I don't I don't think they're going to you know hustle him through. And Jesse Winker is example A of that. They didn't rush Jesse Winker, and he they could have made a case to bring him up in April if they wanted to, and they waited. And it was a, it was the right decision, obviously. And I think with Senzel, you know, maybe he doesn't come up next season, but it. it I think 2018, he definitely could come up, and Suarez will still be here. So they have to figure something out. Yeah, I think uh, I think the latest Baseball America uh, survey came out uh, at the end of the season, and it said uh, of the Reds minor league prospects that Senzel was the closest to the big leagues. So when you have a guy that has potential like a Eugenio Suarez, who is starting to get a foothold in the major leagues, um, possibly hit 20 to 30 home runs a season. I think it's his defense and that he would probably have to work on the most, maybe some consistency at the plate. But does it kind of, you think maybe knowing that, basically what I'm asking is, do you think he feels the footsteps behind him? Or is that something that you think young players like Suarez might feel? I know like, you know, when uh, when the Reds had a, a surplus of catching prospects, uh, whenever a new catcher would get drafted, uh, I, I, I know for a fact, I spoke to some of the guys that were already established, like they knew what was behind them. Do you think maybe that factors in on the, on the Suarez side? He strikes me as a somewhat of a chill person that doesn't sweat the, the details too much, but at the same time, I think he'll be aware of it in spring training. If, if Nick Senzel gets a major league invite to camp, which I, I w- wouldn't be surprised if he got one, 
and he sees how he plays, I think that might be the first wake-up call or the splash of water that says, hey, I'm going to have to keep going if I want to keep my job in Cincinnati or as want, as want to happen if he becomes surplus, uh, a team that might want him. I mean, if you look at players that have left the Reds that maybe weren't even doing well here, they went on to do better things elsewhere, or they were doing well, got moved on, got a free agent deal. And so I think it would behoove him to definitely uh, continue to work on his on his skills. He said he's going to definitely be working this offseason at third base. He wants to be better defensively. Uh, he he wants to be better offensively. He says he really worked on going all fields this year, and it showed. And I think half of his home runs were to center or right field. So he's not just resting on what he's done so far. I think he really wants to take the next step and not just be – an average player. I think he wants to be a really good player. Where do you see this Reds middle infield from 2016 um, to 2017? Basically, what I'm asking is Zach Cozart and Brandon Phillips going to be your double play combination on opening day? I would be a little surprised, but I, I if they were both there, um, I think there's just demand for a guy like Zach Cozart who's uh, affordable. He's got a year left until free agency. He obviously is a good teammate and a good guy, and he can he has some, he has some pop. He had 16 homers, and his defense is without dispute how how good it is. So I think he's marketable. Uh, Phillips, I don't see any scenario where he's not here. I I think he had an opportunity to be traded last year, coming off a 98 loss season, and the manager was Dusty Baker, and he still did not take that trade to the Nationals, and that just shows me that for whatever reason, he's comfortable here. He's, he's obviously one of the team's biggest celebrities. I think he enjoys that life, and I think he enjoys the being known, and, and, and I don't think he'd really want to go to another team and be just a guy. Um, however, he did tell me in uh, Milwaukee, I think right towards the end of the season, that he really does want to win a World Series, and he's aware that he's 36. Time is not infinite anymore for him. And, uh, I mean, to be really honest, I mean, if we're going back, this is year three of a rebuild a World Series may not be happening in the final year of his contract, so if he wants to win one, he may want to think a little harder about if, if an offer comes from a, a competitive or a contending team, he may want to think about taking it. So that begs the question, where does Jose Peraza fit into this 2017 team? Well, if if, if Cozart's traded, he's the shortstop. Easy. Uh, if Phillips is traded and Cozart stays, he's the second baseman. Uh, Dilson Herrera lurks in the wings as a future second baseman, so it could be a a Cozart-Herrera combination. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about Dilson Herrera a little bit. What do you know about him? Of course, he's the the marquee player that came over in the Jay Bruce trade. I know that there are some some big-time pros for for Dilson Herrera. What do you know about him, and what's your uh, analysis? I, I heard that his his uh, his star kind of dimmed a little bit in the Mets organization. He came up, he struggled, and then he didn't. Uh, he went back to AAA and it was okay. But he's he's a guy that has good defensive skills, but can hit. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be the kind of second baseman if Brandon Phillips was when his prime, but uh, he definitely has the ability to be a very strong up the middle guy and that can hit. Uh, apparently, he slept on his shoulder funny and, and uh, on a bus trip this year when he got to Louisville and it, <laughs> it happened. It, it, yeah. I mean, we've all been there, I guess, but, um, he wasn't able to come up for that, whatever reason. So they, they give him the off season to get ready. And, and, um, I would imagine him challenging for a spot. I would be surprised that if, uh, if, let's say Phillips and, and Cozart are both still here. I would be surprised if Herrera did not make the team as a bench guy, unless they feel like he needs to play every day in AAA. But I think he's been in AAA long enough that he could be a guy that comes up here and, and pushes for a spot. If, uh, you know, if there's room for him. So let's talk about the bench a little bit. I know the Reds are um, what they're trying to do moving forward is um, to do something like I, I want. I don't want to you know use the Cub. I don't want to you know talk about the Cubs too much here, but uh, have guys that can play more than one position and not just do that, but contribute at each of those positions. Um, do you see anybody? on this current team that will be uh, in the mix for 2017 that can that can contribute and be comfortable playing multiple positions off the bench yeah it's it's that's a tough one I mean I mean if you're a National League team in general you need those guys it's not it's the Cubs didn't break new ground or frontier by having you know flexible versatile players that's something that should be with every National League team you can't just have guys focused on one spot 
as far as the Reds go, they have a lot of utility guys, it seems like, you know, whether it's DeJesus or Ira Barron towards the end and, and things like that. <clears throat> but they didn't have a guy that – I hate to use Matt Stairs as that example because he's not the guy I want to use. But you didn't have a power guy, and that, that was one thing that was missing. And if they had a power guy that could play outfield and a corner infield spot or a catching like – they tried a little bit with Jordan Pacheco going into the year. It didn't work. But that, those are the guys they need to find. Uh Ira Barron's 32. I don't know if you know he's he got designated and he's. I don't know if he'll go somewhere else or not. But I think if he was in spring training, he might be a guy that they would look to have in camp again and, and maybe make the team. I think he showed that he could hit, and I think having just a, a straight hitter like him can only help. He, you know, he won the international league batting title, and he can. He, he's competent. I think he played four positions, and I think those are the kind of guys you need to have. DeJesus did not do anything wrong. I mean, he, he was very, a very competent backup infielder who could play multiple positions in left field. Um, but they don't, they didn't really have a extra outfielder that could be plugged in behind uh, Duvall or Bruce slash Shebler that they could have, you know, for double switches that they could come in and play as good of defense but also hit. I mean, Tyler Holt did not fit that bill he could play defense but he could not hit and that's something they need to find sure um what's the possibility of jesse winker as the starting right fielder for the reds in 2017 well i think it's shebler's job to lose and i think shebler would have to take a, a dip uh and i don't think he necessarily will but the one thing that winker didn't do last year in triple a was hit for power i mean i think he hit like three homers maybe five i i can't remember but uh i think that was something that maybe is is an alarm bell for some uh but he could hit and i think i think if he can show some power in this this coming spring and being that he's a, a prospect i think he'll have get every chance to possibly win that job i don't think scott shevler should go in thinking it's absolutely his job i think it's his to lose but i don't think it's his job and i think if he can show that uh that he can still throw and, and hit for power that he did and, and and not take the the dip that he did in the beginning of uh april like he did I think he'll keep the job, but I think Winker's right there, and I don't think they'd hesitate to put him up, bring him up if he shows some power in Louisville if he does start the season in the minors. MLBpipeline.com rated Aristides Aquino as the Reds' best prospect in twenty seven or 2016. What do you know about him, and does he have a chance to possibly make this 2017 team? That's a good question. It's funny is that Aquino, if I'm not mistaken, was a Rule 5 exposed player. He could have been plucked. I mean, he had an injury. Um, I think he had an arm injury. He broke his arm or something like that and, and was available, and no one took him. And then he went out and had a great year. I mean, anytime you're the minor league player of the year, and I think he played up – did he get to AAA? Yeah. I think he was he primarily was at Daytona in uh, uh, advanced class. Sorry. You can edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, so I don't see him being up in 17 then. If he's only if he's at advanced A, I, I don't think they would jump him those many levels. But I think he's a guy that they'll have to watch. and eventually. Possibly an invite? To- yeah, I would think he'd be an invite. Yeah. He's earned that and yeah. nothing else. But uh, I, don't, I, don't see, uh, I don't see him being in, in the mix for a job. But you would say that, uh, you know, when people say, you know, when the Reds, and we'll get to this in a second, about the, the young pitching that's coming up through the, through the, the farm system, Everybody talks about the pitching, but they don't talk about any boppers down there. And I, yeah. I would think that uh, Aquino definitely has to be considered a a, a bright power hitter uh, in the red system. Well, the, the one thing that is, though, is that it's a lot easier for a pitcher to get on the express lane and get up to the major leagues, whether it's from double A, even sometimes it happens from single A, but it's 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 very rare. I think hitters, it's, it's a more nuanced situation. Obviously, the hitters are already at a disadvantage when they get here in the first place, being, you know, as it is. And I think it's a harder adjustment from uh, minor league pitching to major league pitching. I don't think it's quite as much of an adjustment for the pitchers. And uh, so I would imagine it's going to take Aquino a little while to get up here. I mean, obviously, Jesse Winker's now been as, as fast-tracked as he seemed to be. They, they hit the brakes on him pretty quick. He was injured a little bit, but they're not rushing him. And I, I think that I can't imagine they would do the same with Aquino. One of the best pieces I've ever seen 
regarding the Reds was something that you wrote uh, uh, several years ago now about Araldis Chapman and the the genesis of his signing with the team. That was, I think, brilliant. And uh, I think uh, for folks listening, uh, it's definitely worth going back and checking that out. Uh, Mark did an amazing job putting that together. Um, and with that being said, to use a Brian Price expression, um, what do you know about some of these uh, these recent Cuban acquisitions that the Reds have made, uh, namely uh, Alfredo Rodriguez and Vladimir Gutierrez? Well, Rodriguez uh, was a shortstop, and uh, they really went out on a limb with him in a way. I mean, they spent a considerable amount of money for a guy that uh, is not as much of a sure thing, so to speak, as maybe Chapman was as for, for as a pitcher. I mean, you kind of Chapman had a quantity, at least that you knew he threw a hundred miles an hour. And that was pretty impressive. And, uh, you kind of wonder again, <clears throat> talk about guys thinking about guys that are behind them, you know, what's going to happen with Cozart now Peraza. And now you have Rodriguez in the pipeline. So I, it's, it's really a mystery of what it could become of him and how he'll integrate into the, into the mix. Um, but I know that, that they were, they were high on his, on his glove. They thought he was a defensive first guy. I don't think he was known for his bat. Um, they said that he did show some more, uh, more hitting ability. I think what they saw in their scouts, but I think uh, historically he has not been known for hitting uh, the other guy, uh, Gutierrez. Uh, we met him. He was here uh, briefly and uh, Ray Stella Glace didn't know him well. They kind of only knew each other through social media, but he did know of him and he knew he was a decent pitcher. He, I think he threw, you know, I, I think Tony Arias told me he threw in the the mid '90s. Had a lot of life. They had some good secondary pitches, and they they do feel like he's got some some potential to be to be here. I don't know how long it'll take him to be here. Uh, he's got a after a year plus off. He went into the instructional league, and you know it takes a while to. Iglesias was able to, to had the the opportunity after his year off to go into the Arizona Fall League and the instructional league and kind of get get in but I think he was a bit of more of a, an advanced case and I I'm not sure if he's as Gutierrez is as advanced as, as, as Iglesias was when he got here. Are you impressed with the way the Reds are um you know tackling the international um market um I, I, and it's my opinion and I know I'm going to get people that disagree with me here but payroll plays a lot into the success of teams, no matter what, you know, I think sometimes uh, baseball would like to make you think that it doesn't, but the Indians were 22nd in payroll. They're the only team in 2016, 2016, excuse me, in the second tier, the other fifth, the back 15 teams to make the playoffs. Um, with and, and I think with with that and then the, the way the Reds are stockpiling talent, tackling the draft. They were just ranked number one uh, by Baseball America in the 2016 draft. Going after the international guys, are you impressed with the the trying to make, uh, for a lack of a better term, making you know lemonade out of lemons? Well, I think it is impressive in the sense that they're not leaving any stones unturned. When you're a small market team, you have to find creative ways to to skin the cat, so to speak. And we both love cats. So I apologize for <laughs> using that term, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, they, they've been doing this for a while though. I mean, even before the, the current administration, so to speak, when a few years ago, they went and got pretty creative and getting Juan Duran and, and Jorman Rodriguez here. It maybe so far appears to not, not be working, but they, they took a, a, a chance on two 16 year olds that had a lot of promise and outlaid a lot of money. And it showed, that they were serious about the international world. And, and, and I know Tony Arias is, is well-respected in the industry, and he's a guy that's been out scouring uh, the earth for for uh, different uh, levels of talent. and, and Combing and, the desert. Combing the desert. And, <laughs> and not uh, they're not giving up on, on guys. And, and, you know, when the Reds are, are a player in a, in a Cuban uh, free-for-all that – very well, honestly, that should usually belong to the teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers. And they beat everyone to get Chapman. They got Rodriguez, and there's a lot of teams that were interested in him. And then they were taking advantage of the fact that the Dodgers pretty much hit their ceiling of of, of what they could outlay because of the the uh, the you know the luxury tax. And and now of all the teams in the major leagues, this going into this next season, the Reds are at the top of the, the luxury tax threshold, so they, they really can't spend any more money, and I think they've shown, hey, we, we're, we're, we've scaled back the payroll, but they've invested in the draft, 
and, and scouting and development, and they've also put a big premium on international uh, scouting and signings, and that's how they want to rebuild and get back into the contention. Um, just to be frank, do you think that's what they need to do moving forward? In your opinion, I, I think that I think like every team, especially the small market teams, you have to have a diversified approach. You can't say just more international or more draft. You have to approach it from different ways. The one way they can approach it is through outspending everyone on the free agent market. The only way they they can do this is by spending smartly internationally and then drafting well and developing all of it through the system. And I think they're they're definitely showing that they're able to do that more. And I think they're taking big steps. But I I don't think just throwing a lot of money internationally it's too um, it's a little bit risky in the sense that there's there's you know, the numbers are not necessarily as reliable. You're dealing with a lot of different variables. The level of competition is not as good. Cuba maybe is closer to being major league competition than some other countries are, and you get a better sense of what the talent is. But I, I don't think you can assume that if you spend a lot of money internationally that all these guys are going to hit. I think there's a lot more misses sometimes just because you just don't know. I mean, plus guys that have – honestly, that have had nothing their entire life suddenly get millions of dollars. It does – possibly change your outlook on life a little bit um and it, it that could that could also affect how they play the dick williams regime has just recently taken over full-time now in the reds front office what do you see um from dick uh personality wise um moving forward that you think will benefit this team and anything that you think will look noticeably different um in the reds front office than when Walt was here as the uh, the main baseball man, well, I think he's a, he's a very smart and, and, and capable person. It was interesting is that he he came in from a non baseball background and spent ten years learning the business. Uh, you know his 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 resume does not have baseball in it before two thousand six, and to his credit, he he never rested on his on his name or his or his background, and he went and got got his fingers dirty and went and learned the business and. And he's a smart guy, and he seems to be very comfortable in his own shoes. And he's he's definitely a communicator with with not just media, but also it seems like with the front office and with uh, people around the the game. He's he's able to take phone calls and and make phone calls and and make deals happen. He's been involved in some of the deals that they've made already in the past year or so. So um, I don't know how much it'll be different. I guess the one thing that'll be interesting to see is you know Walt Jockety was very comfortable and very laid back I, I don't think Walt worried about a lot of things too much uh he, he I think pretty much anything that happened in baseball he's kind of seen it before so uh I'll be interested to see how he handles the the, the day-to-day grind of the job and it does eat you up I, I'm, I would imagine all the phone calls that are required all the contract negotiations all the you know the media re- requests and things like that um but uh I'll be also be curious to see what kind of people he surrounds himself with. I don't know. The organization somewhat is seamless. They made the transition. Walton advisor, uh, you know, Nick crawl and, and Sam Grossman are still here as assistant GMs. And, uh, but I, I, I'd be curious to see if, if Dick surrounds himself with a former GM or a former, uh, assistant GM or somebody with major league experience that's done this before and have, have an inner circle. I think a lot of GMs kind of, form their uh their personalities with the inner circle they surround themselves by and i have we have yet to see who who he's going to surround himself with you spoke to both walt and dick several several times lots of times on the phone in person whatnot do you see a different approach from each of these guys do you think they both see the game the same way or do you think it's a a different style that these guys are going to uh or you're going to see out of dick you're going to see a different style i think Walt definitely leans towards the the more old school approach, and I think he's big on scouting and and uh, the eyeball. And I, I think I think Dick might be a little bit more analytical and, and and bottom line with the numbers. I mean, he's a numbers guy from his business background, and he's got you know one of the first things that happened when he became GM last year. I don't think it was coincidental is that they really invested highly and more into the analytics department. And I think that he's there is going to be a much more analytical approach to how the decisions are made. I think they were you that information was used in the past. I'm not saying Walt didn't use it. I'm sure he did. I know he did. But I also I think he was a guy that you know, like for an example, 
Skip Schumacher's numbers are a sabermetric nightmare to seam heads and those kind of people. They would never, ever want to see Skip Schumacher walk into the building. But, but Walt knew from his St. Louis days and just from the word of mouth that Skip Schumacher, every team needs a Skip Schumacher in their clubhouse because he's the guy that can influence games in different ways. And it may not jump off the stat sheet, but he's a guy that you don't you, you want to go into a into a game with just because especially a pressure game because he knows how to handle himself and he knows how to keep a clubhouse going and he knows how to keep guys accountable quite frankly and um i'll be curious to see if the new regime values those kind of players that don't necessarily jump off the stat sheet i mean not everyone can be sabermetrically uh advanced statistically you know dream players so there's got to be a good mix and i think i think while dick might be analytical i think he's smart enough to know that you need some some uh intangibles as well i know i'm i'm a little bit all over the place with the questions that i'm throwing at you today pepper and you're, you're, doing, you're doing a great job uh but a few more um we spoke a little bit about ricella glacius what do you see his role next year and if it's not as a closer who is the reds closer in 2017 or is it just kind of by committee i think the playoffs this year have put the bullpen in a, in a in a focus like it's never been before. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think now, I mean, there's been people that have been clamoring for years to get rid of the old way of by the book, so to speak. Of you know, you have a three run lead in the ninth inning, bring in your closer. The 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 most pressure situation in the seventh inning, you're going to bring in your third or fourth best reliever. And I think those days are kind of ending a little bit. And and just getting the sense that they really want to have multiple inning power guys that that could be counted on for 30 to 50 pitches two to three innings whether it's to finish a game if it's to bring in Iglesias in the in the sixth inning to get two innings out of him and then bring someone else in I think they'd be willing to do that I think Iglesias is the so-called closer in my opinion I think that's the way to go if his shoulder demonstrates that he can handle it and I think they felt like he passed the sniff test uh, on that towards the end I think he's got the mentality for it, so I think he should close. But I also think the days of he's only going to pitch in the ninth inning are are probably over. I think if they have if Brian is looking at the scenario and he's got a situation that calls for Iglesias in the seventh inning, I think he might use him. If he's got a situation where Michael Lorenzen's his setup guy, who I think he should be a setup guy, but it's the fifth inning, I think he Andrew Miller's the guy and brings him in and, and rides him till he's done. And I think that's that's cool. Yeah, and and you know what you said that you think that this postseason has really kind of been a renaissance for that. I would agree 100%. I think what we've seen, and I think it started with Dave Roberts and in, in the LA in the series with the Cubs that yeah. the, the, the when he brought in uh, Kenley Jansen in the seventh inning, it was like, I think it opened everybody's eyes. Like, this is kind of how it should be. And I agree. I, it's my opinion. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, speak on it, but I agree with that. I think um, instead of, we're, we've always been told that he's the closer. I think now we're going to be told that he's the bullpen ace i think the wording's yeah. going to become different i think all of a sudden uh, and let's be honest it's not really going to behoove uh the 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 agents of these guys no. i think they're going to have a problem with it at first they will push back for they sure. will push back because saves is a a stat that for some reason we put a lot of uh monetary interest in um and i think until that changes i think that's got to change at the top and meet somewhere in the middle with what we saw during this postseason we need new stats to to describe the success of a reliever and the hold is worthless in a sense and the save is becoming worthless if it's not already to some people I mean it's a nice feather in your cap I mean it does take a certain guy to finish a game I'm never going to sit there and say that the ninth inning is 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 uh the same as the seventh inning even a three-run lead with nobody on base in the ninth inning is still there's for whatever reason there's still pressure to finish a game and get the win and leave and shake hands but uh Yes, the roles of changing. I mean, ask Buck Showalter now if he regrets not bringing his closer into a game. He had an elimination game, and Zach Britton was nowhere to be found, and they paid for it. He didn't bring his best pitcher in for the situation that needed it, and he paid for it. Uh, Kenley Jansen threw 51 pitches, I think, uh, like you said, and Clayton Kershaw, of all people, had to close that game. And they have to find, I think, managers are going to have to be more flexible. They're going to have to be more willing to go out on a limb and say, you know what, I brought my best pitcher in in the seventh. I managed to win the, the inning. And then hopefully the game, now that I'm down to my, my fifth best pitcher for the ninth, I had to use him and we lost, but I did it. And, it, and I think the, the idea of going by the book and, re, and, and settling for 
you know, copping out, so to speak, that, I, hey, I managed the game like it's always been managed and it didn't work. I don't think that's acceptable anymore. It's a fascinating topic, and it's, it creates great conversation, and I think we could talk about it a little bit longer. Even um, I think Brian was open to it, even to, at, I think, when he talked to you guys at the end of the season, that was one of the things that one of the things that stood out like in his I don't want to say, you know, like the the annual like yeah. going into the off season uh, to talk to the media was that was the big thing that he said was I'm open and I'm kind of leaning towards using this bullpen differently. Yeah, I think it's something he wanted to do. Uh, I remember when he first got the job and it came up in spring training about with Chapman. Hey, would you be open to using Chapman in the seventh inning? And he said he was, and he said he was open to doing things differently, but then he went and did it by the book, and he didn't do that. And But I could tell he, he kind of wants to do it. I think he was trying to be careful and be safe, and obviously Chapman maybe not maybe didn't want to come in the seventh inning, quite frankly. I don't know. I never heard that. But uh, I, think, I think now there's definitely forward thinking going on. I think Brian's a, a smart guy, and he's also a, a guy that's not – willing to necessarily stick with the status quo. I think he's willing to try some things. And I, I think not only that, but you have to have the right people. And I think he's got two pitchers in Iglesias and Lorenzen that could handle it. They could probably look at the system they have now and see who doesn't make the rotation and have a third guy. Cause you know that there's going to be some people, whether it's Stevenson or, or, I mean, there's, there's four spots really kind of spoken for in the rotation. There's a lot of guys that are capable of going to that fifth spot but some of those guys aren't going to get the job, and you got to look and maybe see if you can find use for them other ways. I mean, Tim Adelman could be a, a type of guy that could be a bullpen starter, swingman kind of thing, and I think you're going to see more of those guys that are capable of giving you three or four innings of relief, but if you had to plug them in as a starter, you got them as a starter. Kiva Sampson was another example of that. Yeah, and uh, we'll continue talking about pitching. Uh some of these young guys that came up this year that the organization and the, the Reds fans that were excited about kind of were a little underwhelming, uh, namely Cody Reed and Robert Stevenson. Um, what did you see in their performance in 2016 that you think might, is it a growing uh, growing pains or is it something that maybe the Reds should be concerned about or is it just, just the way things are going and that they'll be fine? Yeah, that's a tough one. I, I thought Stevenson... His uh, his demeanor really, honestly, wasn't very impressive in spring training. He did not handle the the pressure of going for that job very well. The walks piled up, and I, I got the sense that he was a little hard headed, and I, and that really did come to fruition when he was taken behind the the media woodshed by by Delano De Shields in public, who basically said he wasn't adjusting. And I don't know if that was an eye opener for Stevenson, but he should have been if it wasn't. And I think he needs to develop and grow. He has to cut down on the walks. Um, he has to be willing to throw more pitches than just this fastball. He's got to find diversity in, in his repertoire. And I think if he can do that, he could go places and, and be successful. Um, Cody Reed, I think, is one of those situations where I think he just he, – he wasn't afraid to try throwing other pitches. He had a fastball and a slider and, and a changeup, and he, he was a, he's a power pitcher. He's, he's imposing looking on the mound, and he threw filth – in spring training and, and just made a lot of major league hitters look bad and made a lot of minor leaguers work even worse. And, but I think he just never struggled before. And I think when he got hit hard here, I, I you know, I, you could totally, totally see like when he first got up, okay, the first game, eh, you know, it's struggled, but I'm okay. And then as the home runs accumulated, as the struggles accumulated, you could see his just, he just looked defeated. And, and sometimes it just, it's mental, and I, I think he's got the stuff. I think he, you look at him, and he's built as a, a major league pitcher. I would not want to face him, especially as a left-handed person. I would not want to face that guy ever. I want to face any of these guys, but especially him. And uh, you I think, think the goggles are intimidating. Yeah, he's got the goggles and the beard, and he looks like probably on the mound, he probably looks like he's seven feet tall, sure. and he's got a long yeah. arms, and mm -hmm. the whole idea, another stat that comes up is perceived velocity, and the ball probably gets to batters a lot faster than it actually does, at least perceptively. So I, I think there's still hope for him. I, I mean, John Lamb, the, the third guy of the the, so, the great Cueto trade, did not work out, and um, and that's one down so far. But I think I think there's still a lot of hope for for Reed and Finnegan and and, and Stevenson. I don't think Stevenson's a lost cause. I think I, this he kind of reminds me a little bit of Homer Bailey in the sense that Homer Bailey came up here before the injuries, and he think he knew it all, and I think he got beat up a, a little bit and got sent back and forth to the minor leagues enough 
to finally say, you know what, I'm, I got to grow up and learn. And, and Homer, to his credit, did that. And he's a different person than he was when he first came up. And I think Stevenson will, will figure it out and, and then we'll see what happens. You, you brought up uh, Brandon Finnegan and, and, and Heath absolutely showed incredible signs of greatness in the 2016 season. In my opinion, I think the next and, you know, I'm definitely not a baseball, you know, scout or a coach or anything like that. Um, but I think. It, it would make sense, in my view, for his next uh, level of development would be to uh, accumulate a little more innings in his outings. Absolutely. Um, one thing that's kind of alarming with him was that there was a discussion. I think Zach uh, Buchanan was the one that asked the question, but he, he, you know, Brian pretty much had told us five minutes before, after one of Finnegan's starts, when he went five innings, that you know, five inning starts are not acceptable in, the, in this clubhouse. You have to be willing to pitch seven to eight innings per start, and that should be the minimum. Six inning quality. Brian Price hates the quality start stat. He doesn't think six innings is enough either. And Brandon Finnegan went and said, "Hey, I've had I've gone deep into games all season. I just pitched five innings." And he's twenty three, so and I'm, I'm, coming off as a reliever. And he's coming. Yeah, he's a reliever in in the Royals, and he was a reliever a little bit here. So I think he I think he felt well. I got five innings. I qualify. I qualify. I qualified for a win. What's what's the problem? And I think. Going forward, I think he's now realizing, or he will realize, that at the very minimum he should have six, but he should always be looking for seven, eight, and nine innings. And um, and he's got the stuff that he can do that. I think he's definitely has multiple pitches he can work with. He's he's got the most important thing probably beyond the pitches is he's got the the mentality uh, of the competitiveness. I mean, he does not back down from anything, and he wants to he wants the ball, and he does not necessarily want to come out of a game. So I think. He has the makeup to be a, a, a 200 inning starter, a 33 start a year pitcher who pitches seven innings minimum and and, and goes goes places. Uh, he has to learn to be a little bit more accountable. I think he always had a, a deflection for the walks, especially he was definitely a walk prone guy, and uh, you know he, he had the the term the Dookie hit, which I think didn't really sit well with other people on the team. I think he has to learn to take accountability for his shortcomings on a start and, and then accept responsibility when he doesn't do well, but also of course be very happy with himself when he does do well. As I'm throwing names at you, just randomly peppering you with these names. Um, I think the next, the babe in the system is Amir Garrett. Yeah. Uh, does he have an opportunity to, will he, uh, we, we, will Reds fans see him in 2017? Yeah, I think he'll be here in 2017 in what capacity remains to be seen. I could see him, uh, if they want to go old school, I could see him starting the year in the bullpen and kind of like what Pedro Martinez did once upon a time or Nolan Ryan and and then matriculate into the into the rotation. Or they could they could uh he could go out and win the job right away and, and blow everyone's doors off and send Cody Reed and Robert Stevens and the rest back to triple A by earning the spot. I think he has a type of definite chance to be in the rotation to start the season. If he doesn't make the rotation, I think he's got a chance to be one of those guys. I, I would be surprised if they go all year with the same five guys. It just rarely happens. It hasn't happened here in four years, but I think it could happen that if somebody goes down, he's the first call because I think he's just shown down below that he's – every time they've moved him up, he's accepted the challenge. He's grown from it. He's done what they've asked him to do, and he's produced. I mean, his numbers weren't as good in Louisville as they were in Double uh, A at Pensacola, but I think – they were happy with what he with what he did, and I think even you know maybe he needs a little bit more time in AAA. It wouldn't hurt him, of course, but I, I think if he goes out and has a nice start, uh, nice spring training, he has a chance. Are we watching Anthony DeSclafani become one of baseball's best pitchers? I don't know about baseball's best pitchers, but I, he's going to be that guy, though. You know it, whether it's a next year or the year after. Man, he's the best pitcher no one ever talks about. That's where I think he kind of falls in because he's he's again he's not a, a power guy. He's he leans more towards the the Arroyo style, uh, where he's 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 definitely has to use his brain a little bit more and and and, and trick guys. But he's also he's, he doesn't have he doesn't have weak stuff though. He he can throw, but he's consistent and he's steady and he gets balls in play and he does what he has to do. But he can strike a guy out when he needs to. So um, I could see him being an all star for sure, and I can see him being that guy because he's so quiet, doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself. That he will be the invisible all star that no one talks about, that doesn't get enough recognition for Cy Young awards and things like that. I think he could be in that conversation in a few years, but uh, he's definitely uh, what a great trade that turned out to be. 
uh, getting him from the Marlins. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to wrap it up on a positive note, and I kind of purposely did this. You didn't hear us talk a lot about Joey Votto until now. Um, What I saw from him, and and I'm sure you would agree with this, was one of the most amazing displays of hitting in the final uh, or since June, since June one, yeah. uh, I I can't remember ever seeing anything like that. And I've been with the team for a long time, been a baseball fan. I'm you know forty years old. Um, that's not to say I've seen everybody play, but for my money and for seeing somebody day in and day out, just a truly amazing. Uh, display and I, I'd love to hear what your opinion is well, on we that. We saw a little bit of a glimpse of that in 2014, 2015, excuse me, 2015. He had a very middling first half and then he had a historical second half. But I think what he did this past year was even more impressive just because he was hitting 213 on May 31st and he was frustrated. He could tell he was not a happy camper. I mean, and I, you know, he's a guy who makes. 20 to 25 million dollars a year he's got this huge contract but he does not rest on that contract and um i think because he's not as outgoing uh of a person that i think people don't see that but he is as hard of a worker especially on the craft of hitting as anybody and um and what yeah what i saw this year was just impressive i i really never would have thought and i should i should know better especially after 2015 that he was going to come off the mat from from that horrible floor he was on and and do what he did and not only just i mean his power came back this year i mean it wasn't just the hitting and and you know he gets credit criticized at time for being interested in the walks but i don't think there was a better power hitter you know in the second half than he was either i mean he was hitting a lot of home runs he, he was driving guys in because billy hamilton and, and peraza were getting on ahead of him so you know the idea that he couldn't drive in runs was was kind of uh, put to rest. Yeah, that's that. that's a that's a silly it argument is. anyway. It is, and he's definitely shown that he is one of the best hitters in baseball, if not the best hitter. And I think if he can do slightly better than he did, uh, well, even more than slightly better in the first half, and then carry that into the second half, he's the MVP. I mean, he no question. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the walk. He's always had that reputation as being a walk guy, and I think that's great. Yeah. But quietly, and I don't, I guess quietly was that the right word he kind of went he went through stretches especially late in the season where he didn't walk as much but he still was hitting everything yeah Uh, and i think that was a uh, just a great way to prove his critics prove to his critics that hey look i'm a great hitter i don't have to rely on a walk to get on base absolutely but that's also part of my incredible arsenal to to uh, what I bring to the plate. And and I think that just kind of just seeing that for me, like there were stretches when in which I think we were waiting. There was a milestone walk number. I forget what it was to ready to put in the game notes last year. And it felt like forever before he reached it. But at the same time, he was still hitting like and getting on base at almost over 50 percent of the time that he came to the plate, which in, in my view, I think that just kind of elevated him to a different here that only a few people are on yeah and it's just you can't outsmart him right. i mean it's it's if if it got to the point where if the reds need a hit joey Votto's gonna get that hit it wasn't gonna get a walk i mean it's you know it wasn't gonna wait for the next guy to come up and, and do the job and 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 the hits were, were of all types i mean he was able to hit singles but he he definitely could drive the ball the other way and get a double and he could certainly hit a home run and it seemed like he was whenever you needed a big hit he was the guy that was hitting the big hit i mean adam duvall for the first half was was that guy but and he kind of fell off in the second half but Joey Votto was there day in and day out in the second half and he had a absolutely it, it's too bad the Reds lost 94 games cuz not a lot of people saw it and all of his uh basically the Reds were out of it by the time he his bat came alive so it, it didn't uh figure as much in the in the stretch run and it certainly won't get him the MVP award but it was something that uh everyone should should take note of Mark Sheldon it was a pleasure. I feel like this was the fastest hour. Was it, was it an hour already? Yeah. 50, we didn't even talk about different strokes or I, cats or I soccer. Know. Yeah. Maybe this will be a, that'll be an offline at, at lunch conversation right. after I treat you to lunch. Can't wait. All right, Mark. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. Let's do this again. Definitely, Jamie. Thank you. All right, Mark. That's Mark Sheldon, ladies and gentlemen. 
A big thanks to Mark Sheldon. It's always nice to see what the folks who cover the Reds team on a daily basis think of the direction in which the organization is moving. It's one thing hearing it from me, someone who works for the team. It's another hearing it from someone who doesn't necessarily have those same ties. And that's what we wanted to bring you this week, an unbiased yet educated take on the Cincinnati Reds. So we thank Mark for that. He's a good dude, and as a baseball fan, it's worth your time following him on Twitter at M underscore Sheldon, S-H-E-L-D-O-N. You can also read his stuff on Reds.com. Coming up this season on the BOR podcast, we'll have a litany of fantastic guests, I promise you, including Reds general manager Dick Williams. A very special thanks to my main man, Nick Prince, the best technical director in the world of podcasting without Nick. This BOR podcast would not exist. Don't forget to join us for the Reds Hot Stove League and Better Off Red Baseball Trivia at the Holy Grail Banks on Wednesday, November 9th and Wednesday, November 16th. That's all from BOR Headquarters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jamie Ramsey. Expect good news.